0: Hello and welcome to Retro Perspective, a new show on the Nerd Party Network where we take a look at the movies that were released 25 years ago this week. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today we're taking a look at the movies which were released on January
1: 14th, 1994. 1994. Yes, we had... uh, what. We had a choice of three movies this week, right? There was one that came out on the 12th. Right. It was a Wednesday opening. Wednesday opening, and that was House Party 3. Yeah. And then the other ones were Body Snatchers, Iron Will, and was there another one in that mix? No, that was it. Okay, Body Snatchers. Again, it's so weird to think of just release schedules just from back then. I I know I talked about that, like, ad nauseum last time but it's just it's so weird like you expect 10 different titles to show up every week and it's like no no that's that's normal release schedule especially for back then
0: yeah it is uh, you know and this time of year i think too and the other thing to consider is that you know we're talking about new releases from 1994 so just like today like for yeah. example this week you know on January 11th 2019 You know, the releases included replicas, On the Basis of Sex, If Beale Street Could Talk, uh, all of these movies being movies which were initially released limitedly, limitedly in in 2018 so that they could qualify for Oscar consideration.
1: So... Yeah, and uh, something that's interesting, because one of the things we were talking about with the the release and everything is, you know, with that limited release or end-of-the-year release, there may be movies you remember from 1994, because you saw them in 1994, but they were released, say, on, like, Christmas of 93, like Tombstone, is a movie that, in my brain, is a 1994 movie, but no, it was released within the last two weeks of... The year, therefore, like, it's this weird sort of uh, whiplash effect that happens. Yeah. 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 That's how it works. It is. It is how it works. So, uh, true to the format, neither one of us knows which movie we selected uh, to watch this week. But I have a feeling this is one of those weeks where we watch the same thing.
0: I think you're probably right.
1: Yes. Which movie did you choose I watched Body Snatchers, the 1994 update directed by Abel Ferrara, starring Gabrielle Anwar. Uh, that is an update of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which was 1950s originally, and then uh, there was the very famous Donald Sutherland version. Well, I mean he didn't direct it, but you know his name's associated with it because uh, he was one of the main characters. Uh, and I think wasn't Nimoy in that one too? Yeah. Yeah, was. Nimoy was in that one. Uh, and then this this one is, as the cycle of Hollywood goes, every twenty years you get a remake, just about. And yeah. so we get Body Snatchers.
0: Yeah, and there's another one made, I don't know, like twenty years after this, called The Invasion.
1: Yes, with uh, Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig. Because yeah. there was there was a very famous, uh, wasn't there? There was an onset accident with one of the car stunts. Uh, I, on I that don't one remember too.
0: that. I just remember I I think it was either shelved for years or something like that, but. It was considered to be like a really, really bad movie. And it was just kind of dumped out, and I think, after recuts or reshoots or something. It was yeah. a troubled production, for sure.
1: I wonder if Body Snatchers, this version, has a similar sort of story behind it. Because I could swear I detected uh, the faint aroma of reshoots and edits to uh, get this thing out in, into the public.
0: That could be. Um, you know, I was kind of looking forward to this because I just watched that other Abel Ferrara movie last week, and I was like, well, hmm, this seems a little different, sci-fi something or other. And, you know, he seems like a an artiste and, and everything. And, you know, what, is, what does that all mean uh, when he decides to do a remake of a classic, or two classics, really, yeah. when you think about it? And I don't know, what what did you think about this just in
1: general? Well, in general, I didn't care for it a great deal. I uh, There was a puzzling lack of tension or suspense for a, a movie concept that really requires those things in order to function properly. Yeah. Like, I, I had no sense of dread. It was just a thing that was happening, and I wasn't angry i wasn't upset it's not like one of those movies where you say oh this is so this is so god-awful i can't barely watch anymore but at the same time i think that probably in 12 months time i'm going to be thankful that we uh immortalized my reaction to it because i don't think i'm going to remember even seeing this it's just the what was your reaction
0: to it uh i think it was pretty similar I I was kind of intrigued by it in some ways, but at the same time, I think because, you know, there's the classics. I I mean, have you seen all of them or some of them or what have you seen?
1: Yeah, I've seen the 1950s one and I've seen the Donald Sutherland one. It's been a number of years since I've seen the Sutherland one, but, you know, that one creates an indelible impression, especially Sutherland's last shot in in that film. So, yeah, there's, there's a real affinity for those first two versions uh and i i don't know if it's i don't know if it's the production itself or just the fact that body snatchers sort of belongs to a cold war era yeah in a large sense and so it doesn't translate well to a world without a berlin wall if that makes Mm -hmm. sense yeah, no, it does because I mean
0: I I haven't seen the 70s version. I've only seen the original and then I also saw the the invasion. Um but you know, I love the original and you're right that it really does. I mean, it's all about, you know, the red scare and everything like that. And this seemed to be really kind of about nothing. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah, it was just an event. Yeah,
0: it's like, oh, there's these, you know, body snatchers, these aliens, and they're doing this thing. And it's weird. It's a weird sci-fi concept. But, like, you know the concept going into it. Like, Mm -hmm. even if you haven't seen the originals, you pretty much know what's going on from the beginning. So there's no sense of mystery or anything like that. It's just sort of going through the paces. And... I mean, luckily, it's short. It's under an hour and a half.
1: Yes, that is merciful.
0: (laughs) But which, which really, you know, kind of intrigued me. But there's really nothing there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and that's why the runtime, and also, I think that um, you can definitely see that they cut giant swaths of this out uh, in order to get it. I mean, they do that. They. They cut stuff down so they can get as many showings out of it as they can while it's in theaters, so that they can take as I don't know as small a loss as possible or whatever. But um, it really, I mean that that is the oddest sense about it because while I was watching it, like even though we agree this belongs to the Red Scare era, this belongs to Berlin Wall, Soviets versus U.S but at the same time this this is something that could be really interesting and relevant in the social media age in a very large way because of the whole you know pressure of groupthink and the suppression of individual opinion for the benefit and the tranquility and if somebody expresses you know the, the trademark of the creatures they screech out and point if you don't follow in lockstep with everything you know which you could very easily draw one to one with like the public shaming that happens when somebody you know gets uh gets targeted on social media or something like that so it could be relevant it's just that i don't think this version is relevant to any time period or any kind. it's almost as if there was at best a surface understanding of the story and not its meaning. And so this is as a result just going through the motions. And for some reason I was
0: like surprised by that. I think because of the movie that I watched last week Dangerous Game, which was also directed by Abel Ferrara, and there was something about the way that that movie was directed, you know, the the idea that uh, Harvey Keitel was so naturalistic in his portrayal of this director directing that it almost felt like there was no director for the movie that you were watching, or at the very least, that this is how Abel Ferrara directs. And the results were, I would say, pretty naturalistic. I mean, some of the the performances were a bit over the top, but they were going for a naturalistic feel. You could tell that there was a lot of improv going on and all that stuff. And I was really kind of excited to see that style translated into a science fiction movie. Mm -hmm. And they don't do that really here. It's much more straightforward than Body Snatchers. And I guess because he's kind of considered to be like an artistic director and everything, I thought that like if he was going to be making or remaking a movie, which is, you know, a remake of two classics, that he would really find like an interesting, weird take on it. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't. And like we're saying, it's not really about anything. And in hindsight, I mean, I guess just from my my only experience with him as a director, which is, you know, seeing Dangerous Game last week, I shouldn't have been surprised by that because that was my complaint with that one, too, is that it's really well made and you get to the end and you're like, well, why did we watch that? So right. so I guess there's consistency in that regard, but everything else about it is, is pretty substantially different.
1: You know, there's also a very interesting thing where nowadays we are extremely used to directors, productions coming on. If we're going to have military, we're going to do research. We're going to embed the actors with them. You know, I mean, for Pete's sake, you know, just a a couple of years prior to this, T2 comes out and uh, uh, Linda Hamilton had like trained with, you know, the Israeli special forces so that she could present a real on-screen persona of somebody who understood military tactics and and behavior. And we're more used to that now. And looking at the way that Ferrara shoots and stages things on a military base, with the loose knowledge... I, I have enough family members who have been in the military that I've been on a fair number of military bases. And the behaviors on the military base are so obviously from somebody who has absolutely no concept and made no effort to understand how military bases work that it was just kind of funny to revisit an era where that type of thing was less valued, where it wasn't the norm to know that somebody in like a dramaturgy role did this huge amount of research to make sure that the depiction of this place that they're at was screen accurate, was dead on, and you couldn't tell it from the real thing. Yeah, yeah. And I guess we're
0: just a few years off from that, really. I mean, I think a lot of those Mm -hmm. Bruckheimer, like Michael Bay productions were some of the movies that really tapped into that, you know, even like Black Hawk Down and everything, too. So, Oh, yeah? Yeah. But not quite there yet. I, I will say in the movie's defense, they have that little kid who looks like Haley Joel Osment but is not. Yes. And he's, he, he's wearing some uh, Air Jordan 7s, the the ones that, that Bugs Bunny wears. So that's cool.
1: Had I noticed his shoes, I still wouldn't know that. But mm. I do now, and I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that.
0: A- another thing that I like about it is that it's not just a straight-up remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, right? It's not like it's the same premise or anything they really sort of like take this idea this situation and create all new characters and everything in a new setting obviously a new time period and everything like that and basically say like well that's how these people would react in fact like I was watching the trailer for it and they say like the invasion continues and I'm like is this a sequel And according to IMDb, it's not, but in some ways it could be. Like, you could almost do, like, variations on a theme and say, like, well, this is Mm -hmm. an event that happened, and you can, like, look at various people from around the world and how they dealt with this event. But that was one thing which I did like about it, the fact that they took the premise and told a new story as opposed to just, you know, doing a scene for scene or character for character mm-hmm. remake.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for, even if it doesn't work well, at least you tried something different. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I can I can see that. I, one complaint that I would lodge with it, though, uh, is I can be very touchy about, and this predates even me having kids, I'm very touchy with the way they use kids in movies like this. yeah. And I, I can't define the line. I can't define why I react certain ways during certain movies. Like, and it's not a hard and fast rule because aliens, I have no problem with the way Newt is used in that movie. The child is put in peril. No problem. Get it. Understand. It seems natural and necessary. When you get to the end of this, there's that fight in the helicopter with the little kid. Yeah. Which yeah, he's been replaced and everything. But I don't like that stuff because it's purposely thrown in there simply to tug on your heartstrings. It it's almost it's almost like that loaded moment of, "Huh, the kid, could you throw a kid out of a helicopter?" And it's like, "What well, this is really not very necessary to do this right now." And why did you do that you don't need to do that like you can either let the kid go off screen or you can see that he's been replaced and you get away before you have to make you know it just seemed so cheap to do that at the end with the kid That's yeah what but thinking. how about that
0: amazing special effect when they throw the kid out the helicopter
1: stunning that was probably <laughs> what upset me as i was so convinced by its realism <laughs> yeah it was
0: you know maybe not quite up to you know ilm's usual standards i mean (laughs) this is a year after jurassic park so maybe maybe not quite there yet
1: but Uh, it's a good example for uh why they started to go for uh you know digital doubles and and stuff like that Mm -hmm. because at least the uh at least the contrast levels will match in those circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: On the whole, I would say that this movie is not very good. It's interesting because I, I kind of went into this with the assumption that people hated it. I think Mm -hmm. because the idea that this was a remake of these two classic films, which were very popular and they dumped it in the beginning of January with I mean it's it looks like based on like what box office Mojo is saying that it like barely got a release theatrically, mm-hmm. which seems very strange to me, but it's like okay, you're burying this thing, which you would think is like a big budget movie, you know you think it's it's like yeah. a pretty substantial release, and you know I just assumed that everyone just hated it because if they liked it, it would be a much bigger movie. Um, But, like, looking at Rotten Tomatoes, it's actually a fairly well-reviewed film. Um, So that's
1: kind of surprising. That's stunning. That is is honestly stunning. I just can't (laughs) plug into that. I mean, you know, sometimes there are movies where you could say, oh, yeah, I could see somebody liking it more than me. Mm -hmm. I can't. I can't. Like, I literally, this is a barrier for me. I cannot plug into somebody liking it substantially more than I did. So... That's very curious. That's really curious. And and I, in a sense, also felt bad for uh, Gabrielle Anwar because she's coming off of her scent of a woman, big splash role, and then to have something like this in a follow-up position isn't great. And I also felt bad because this is also, you know, it's sort of the, the sunset of this era in the 90s but sort of that that treatment of a a young starlet on the way up, there's almost a guarantee that she's gonna be showing more skin than she needs to at some point during the movie. Yeah. And so I I actually felt bad for her and the woman who played the stepmom because I was like, That what, this doesn't really serve any purpose. Why are you why? Why did you do that? Sort of thing. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's like this is, you know, the the 90s are sort of the the setting sun on that that moment. But I don't know. It's just I noticed it, too, where I was like, oh, this is not necessary. I feel bad for her. Yeah. I don't think I'm too
0: familiar with her work, really. I've never seen Scent of a Woman, and I don't think I've seen
1: much that, that she's been in. But I thought she was good, you know? Oh, yeah. the The problem with the movie isn't her. Uh-huh. um she's she obviously showed up to work, yeah, so. and Forrest
0: Whitaker is in it
1: so that's yeah, a- in a part that I think was substantially cut down, probably yeah, 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 and uh, I can also say that i I can tell uh all real smokers and former smokers can tell he wasn't really smoking <laughs> you can tell when somebody's inhaling the cigarette. Don't give somebody a cigarette if they're not really going to smoke because it's just not convincing, yeah. at least for those of us who know the uh, the sweet, velvety release of uh, nicotine-charged smoke in our lungs. <laughs> so. All right. Well, that's good to keep in mind. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> so I think we would both agree that we would not recommend this movie.
1: Yeah, 1994 didn't get off to a great start, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. So sort far, sort a rocky we're, beginning. Oh, for three. Yeah. Um, but
0: you know, let's just briefly touch on the other movies that came out this week. House Party Three was a Wednesday release. I watched the trailer for this, and yeah. it actually looked mildly amusing. It looked like uh, Bernie Mac has a, a fairly large role in it. And he's always good. It also features oh, yeah? uh, Chris Tucker and a few other people. So, you know, maybe maybe that's something worth checking out at some point. Probably should have gone with that one instead. But, you know, yep. what can you yep. do? And then Iron Will, which I remember when this movie came out.
1: Which, I don't. I don't remember it at all.
0: I mean, here we are. I mean, because I'm pretty sure the air up there was Disney. So back-to-back live-action Disney movies you know on consecutive weeks iron will is a movie about a guy who's on a, like a dog sled racing thing i did a like. rod there you go yeah. in you know alaska or wherever i'm assuming i don't know and yes. apparently it's based on a true story and all that stuff and you know very much you know i'm like in the trailer it says like in the grand tradition of disney adventure you know yeah so um it looks boring uh, it looks very very <laughs> much like a disney kids movie and it's kind of crazy to see like what they were doing with live action like even as as late as 1994
1: it's like boy you know they've come a long way in that regard haven't they so yeah well now they're just uh, remaking all their animated movies as live action, so
0: that's true. But I mean you also have to count Marvel and you know,
1: Star Wars. Do you have to count those though? Because think, those those do. are things that existed before Disney owned them. Like it's sort of like it's sort of like Google gets credit for YouTube, but all they did was buy it. And that yes, they made improvements and everything, but Marvel was setting itself up. I mean granted they they their end goal was, yes, to have somebody come in and finance the hell out of everything. But like these were entities that existed beforehand. So, I mean, personally, I still want to see Disney release stuff like, I mean, not necessarily Iron Will. I haven't seen it, but I'd like to see them get a little crazy and, you know, just release the stuff that they used to be known for, because why not? Yeah. I'd like to see them
0: sort of go back to like the, Bruckheimer stuff of the 90s. I think that that would be cool. Yeah. I I'm kind of shocked that nobody is doing that. Nobody is making those kinds of movies. I'm not talking about the Pirates of the Caribbean stuff, but like how is Bruckheimer still not like a massive player in the industry, you know?
1: It's a good question. Hmm. It's a really good question. How is how is Disney not they're still not capitalizing on Tron or <laughs> Uh, even like a remake of The Black Hole would be awesome. I mean, the thing about it, though,
0: like with any time I hear like Tron, you know, they need to make another Tron movie. I keep on thinking like, look at the schedule. Look at how many weeks there are in, in the year. Like they can only make so many. And of course, they're going to prioritize things like Marvel movies because they they're guaranteed hits, you know? Tron Legacy wasn't really a
1: hit. Yeah, that still still irks me. But yes, I know. But the thing is, they got a Tron ride over in Shanghai that's coming over to the States. Mm -hmm. In the Iger era, that's a clear signal I'm going to be getting another Tron movie, right? Could be. I mean, they've been talking about doing that one with Jared Leto,
0: which seems really weird.
1: Well... They also, uh, people were also threatening to make a Robotech movie with, uh, I think it was Tobey Maguire for some time. Yeah. But uh, they kept threatening and it didn't come true. Yeah. But I still want a Robotech movie, but. Yeah, I'd watch it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see.
0: So uh, before we we talk about next week, I I do have a question for you, which I was going to ask last week, which I didn't, which is, um, where were you? In
1: January of 1994. Wow. Specifically in January of 1994. Oh, was it 93 or 94 where there was a big blizzard that shut everything down for a week? I don't remember. I was—I mean, I was in college, sort of, uh, at the time. Uh, working full time. And uh, primarily, um, you know, hanging with friends and... C's get degrees, and so putting forth that sort of effort. Where were you in 94? I was, well,
0: in January of 94, I was uh, in eighth grade. Ah, Uh, There you go. I I was primarily watching Star Trek all the time. Hmm. It was uh, season seven of Next Generation and season two of Deep Space Nine. And... Everyone was super duper excited about Next Generation because, you know, it was the finale and and everything like that. The series was ending and everything. And, uh, you know, Deep Space Nine was just this other little show which was being done on the side. And yet, as I was watching these two things side by side, I couldn't help but think, like, boy, Deep Space Nine is much better than Next Generation this year. It's kind of weird, but it is. And... Uh, yeah, I, I, that's all I did. All I did this year is <laughs> w- watch Star Trek.
1: You know, I want to say, I, I I would have to talk to my friend uh, Joey, who's going to get constant mention because he and I have been hanging out for so many years. But um, I don't remember if it was 94 or not. But 93, if I recall correctly, was the year that they released a giant, Box set, videotape box set of the Star Wars movies letterboxed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a four-tape set because it had the three movies, and then it had uh, the old 1983 from Star Wars to Jedi documentary, yeah. and then it had a uh, a miniaturized version of George Lucas: The Creative Impulse, mm-hmm. which was the you know his biography. But they had an excerpted part. That was just focused on like the Star Wars years and stuff. Love the thing, treasured it. I think 94, and this would have made it the snowstorm year then. I think 94 was the year that there was a special fundraiser at the theater we like to go to where they showed the original three Star Wars movies on the big screen. Yeah, and we true. went to Star Wars, Empire, and Jedi. Uh, three nights in a row. I, I want to say it was 94, but I'll have to ask him because it was either 94 or 95. I, I think that set came out in 93,
0: if I'm not mistaken, Yeah, because I think it came out at the same time as the
1: definitive collection LaserDisc. Yeah, that would have been the same timing, yeah. Or r- at least roughly the same timing. Which had the full
0: version of the Creative Impulse thing in there. Oh well, which was lottie
1: dot of the laser disc owners. It's
0: it's it's an insane set. I I picked one up off of eBay like right when uh, you know Laserdisc died. So like people were or were unloading things and that that you know they had previously cherished, and that was one where like I had always wanted that set. Yeah, and I could never afford it because it was like two hundred and fifty dollars. So once no one cared about laserdisc went on to ebay and i found it for i want to say like 50 bucks you know wow might have might have wow. even been less than that yeah. but i bought it and i still have it and now it's worth like you know 350 or whatever and i even checked mine has the the original pressing of the empire strikes back where at one of the side breaks you know the the stop it my hands are dirty scene yeah the first shot like there's like a wide shot of like leia and then it mm-hmm. cuts to like a medium shot of leia and then han comes into the shot yeah that was the beginning of a side and for some reason on the original pressing it was missing that first wide shot and oh. then they did like a repressing and everything but i've got the original with the missing shot and that was the first time that the movie was ever released in THX and everything like that. and Yeah, yeah, and it's
1: got that book in there, which makes that box set extremely heavy. I had a copy of that book. I don't have it anymore. But, yeah, you could kill somebody with that book. Yeah. Like, if you threw that at someone, they're getting a concussion. Like, that thing was legitimately... It was like a 25-pound book. Like, that was crazy.
0: Yeah. So imagine that book in a box... With nine laser discs, and uh, <laughs> that's that's what you got.
1: So, well, my set was much more manageably attractive, and it was also actually I, I used to keep it um, uh, wrapped in a piece of fabric so that the uh, outside hologram would not get yeah uh, dinged up. And boy, boy did I get made fun of for that <laughs> a whole lot.
0: I, you know, I remember they had that at, uh, you know, the Blockbuster that I went to. And, you know, it was just weird because it was like the only movie that you could get letterboxed, you know, really. I mean, especially for rent. So, of course, like I rented Empire Strikes Back because I had never seen it letterboxed before. And I remember like thinking it was the most amazing thing and thinking like everyone would clearly know that it was the most amazing thing. And taking it home and telling my cousin about it, and, you know, she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, cool. And then, like, I stick it in the machine, and it starts up, and I'm amazed by it, and then, like, she turns to me, and she's like, you know, next time I come over here, I'll bring over my copy because it's it's much better. It fills the entire screen, and I'm like, did I not just explain... That's when I realized nobody gets it.
1: Nobody yep. gets it. But the thing is, ninety three. That's very early on. Yeah, yeah. In in the letterboxing wars, like sure. trying to convert people was so difficult, especially when you wind up going over somewhere and you say to her, "Oh yeah, yeah no, I'm going to show you." Yeah, why letterboxing is so great, and she's got like a ten inch zenith mm-hmm. cathode ray, and you're like, "Oh, this." This isn't going to go well. Yeah. This is not going to go well at all. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All
0: right. So next week will be an easy choice for us because Mm -hmm. there's only one movie that was released. Only one movie released starring, I
1: believe, Richard Gere. Yes.
0: Yes, it is. Uh, January 21st movie is Intersection. And... uh, for anyone who's uh, excited to watch it, it is available on Amazon Prime. Yay!
1: So, so that's nice. That is nice. Yeah, well, I'm that gonna... is nice. The premise is that a man. Wait, wait, wait! I don't know the premise. You don't? Oh, you don't even want to know? Oh, that's right. Okay.
0: I don't know. I'll. I'll don't d- I've, I've I've lived twenty five years without hearing the premise of Intersection. <laughs> Might is... as well go okay, hold another. On. Do week. the
1: math. Do the math here. It's a Richard Gere movie. What do you think at least part of the premise is going to be about? Okay. All right. Well, we'll find out. There you go. In the meantime, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, just look for Castle Junkie. That's who I am. That's my name. Don't wear it out. And you can find me here on the network, co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast with Matthew Rushing. And, you know... Pay attention to Castle Junkie, because that's where I tell everybody what I'm doing anyway. So where can people find you? Uh, You can find me on
0: Twitter at Mumbles3K, and you can also find me on my website doing a show called Film Damage on filmdamagepod.com. And uh, yeah, you can find me on uh, Trek FM now, Trek.fm, doing a show called Tracks from the Edge, where we provide audio commentaries for all the new episodes
1: of Discovery. So uh, check that out, too. Excellent. Very cool. Well, everybody knows their assignment, intersection. And if you want to reach out to us, not just through those means, but you can go to the nerdparty.com slash contact, look up Retro Perspective, drop us a line and let us know if you had a different opinion of Body Snatchers or a compelling reason why we should revisit this week and watch House Party 3.
0: There you go. All right. So until next week, be kind, rewind.